Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff Hunt, and this is Human Capital, a goal span podcast. On Human Capital, I interview top business thought leaders to uncover the deeply human aspect of work. On today's show, we will dive deep into how to address unconscious bias, microaggressions, and exclusionary behavior in the workplace, specifically using virtual reality. My guest today is Myra Laldine, who believes in the power of stories to create empathy, shape values, change behaviors, and share experiences. She grew up in Pakistan as a religious minority and attended an international boarding school, and in high school, she moved to Thailand. As one of the few Pakistanis in a very westernized school culture, she learned to be acutely aware of social and cultural dynamics. And in college, she studied cross-cultural business management and later cognitive science and behavioral theory in grad school at Harvard University. Myra co-founded Vector, a virtual reality development company that leverages the power of immersive technology and works with Fortune 500 companies. Leveraging her knowledge of learning sciences and technology, Myra then founded VR Perspectives, which focuses on VR storytelling to shine a light on the hidden dynamics of the social world through immersive experiences. Myra serves on the boards of Design by Us, which is an Amazon nonprofit, uh, the National Small Business Association Leadership Council, and as an XR subject matter expert at MIT. In her spare time, yeah, right. <laughs> she <laughs> likes drinking pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. And I think I feel a song coming on. <laughs> Welcome, Myra. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Um, my team wrote that bio and I'm like, wow, that just covers everything. I don't, I don't know if I have anything to talk about. <laughs> oh, we have plenty to talk, talk about. I am convinced of that. And I'm really excited to have you on the show today. And um, yeah, excited to be on here. Yeah, this is exciting. Yeah. Finally got it scheduled. Yeah, finally actually, after a number of different scheduling conflicts, <laughs> yes, uh, we finally got it. So anyway, happy that you're here. And so, Myra, before we jump into this topic, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background. You know, I read all these interesting things in your bio. And so share about that. And maybe you can also share what person or thing inspired you to ultimately end up as an entrepreneur in the XR space. Mm. All right. That's a great question to start with. So my early childhood experiences in, in northern Pakistan, growing up in environments where at one point I'd be in extreme marginalization and another extreme privilege, I think had a really large impact on what I do today. So my parents started like about 37 years ago, started a hospital way up in the North of Pakistan. There was no medical care. So they felt a calling to go start that. But because we were in such a remote area, there was no schools like readily available for us. So they sent us to a boarding school. And this boarding school was a real mix of like American and, and British, like even curriculum and things, but for kids all around the world, but we were the only Pakistanis there. From an early age, you know, so when I talk about extreme marginalization, um, my family is, you know, multiple generations of Christians. And, you know, if, if you know anything about Pakistan, it's a very conservative Islamic country. And, you know, if you just Google Christians in Pakistan, like a, a range of things will come up of just the 
the types of issues they're facing, like, you know, uh, things around the blasphemy law. There's a lot of stories and I won't go into them, but basically it's like mm, religious minorities can have it pretty tough in Pakistan. You know, my school for one was, was attacked by religious fundamentalists at one point, you know, with bombs, guns, all that stuff. So, you know, that's what I mean by it, it's not just, oh, <laughs> like microaggressions it's like oh like physical danger it's actual violence it's actual violence yeah so that you know the full spectrum of daily micro stuff too but then actual violence too so extreme marginalization in terms of being a female in a very conservative islamic country being a religious minority so feeling that on a daily basis but then also this extreme privilege of going to one of i'd say one of the best uh, schools in the world and that all the opportunities that that brought me to Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, from an early age, I'm, I was constantly taken in and out of my water. And so, you know, David Foster Wallace has this saying, he says, like, a fish does not know water. So if you if you asked a fish, like, hey, how's the water? He'd be like, what the hell is water? Right. right? So <laughs> because and basically our water is our norms. Immersed. Right. Yeah. Like we're in, we're in our we're constantly immersed in our norms and we don't know what they are until we're pulled out of it. Right. So for some people, the first time even leaving their state, like the norms might be a little different somewhere else or, you know, uh, you know, visiting, for example, I grew up in Thailand, like we take off our shoes before we go into the house. Like that might be weird for weird. Right. But it's just but it, and I say, quote unquote, weird, basically just different. Right. So taking taken out of your norm, like I said, you only know your culture or your water, like once you're taken out of it and you have something else to compare it to. So growing up with kids all around the world brought me in, in and out of that water constantly, you know, growing up with Koreans and Germans and uh, Swiss, you know, Americans. Um, and it just showed me the different norms. And I think that, you know, really had an impact. One of my mentors recently said something to me that really stuck with me. She said, because you've grown up in with and in so many cultures, you don't have a norm. And that's why you can easily shift and adapt and learn to move effectively in different cultures and with different people. And that just really, you know, for someone to say it so succinctly, I was like, oh, that really resonated with me. So, so like to get to, you know, what inspired me, I, I think th- there's so many layers to it, but that's, that's a big one of it. Uh, one of them, like of, I had this rich, vibrant intercultural upbringing that helped me see as I, as I was, that helped me see like the value of that. But also, as I was brought into cultures and into situations in the U.S. and, you know, other places um, that I saw the danger of a single story. And what I mean by that is we are, especially in this cultural climate, we see something about a group of people and then we just assume or we see something about a single person. Right. Like maybe uh, like whatever a stereotype might be. And then we just assume that everyone in that group is the same. So we put a single story on that whole group. And this happens all over the world. And it's just increasing as we like silo ourselves and we, we create bubbles like, you know, politically, we have a story of the other side, um, like religious, you know. So I, I always think, you know, stories are, are what is so powerful. Stories at the individual level, right? Mm-hmm. And, and from research, it shows like working side by side and like more contact across groups, like lessens our biases because you get to see people at that, for who they are as a person, right? The humanness of the each humanness, individual. right? Yes. The, yes, just like, okay, I, I know this person, and and what happens is when you when you get that the story at the individual level, you get to like empathy, you get to understand them, 
when you when you see something that a whole story is being put on a on a whole group you realize like well that person wasn't like that like I, I see the difference right but when we don't have those individual stories then we just our brain just makes those like big assumptions right and and travel is a great way like to like you know kind of break out of your bubble and stuff but it's for me i've also found it, it that um unless you're being really intentional about how you travel and meet different people you can actually reinforce stereotypes more and you know we call this uh reinforce like stereotypes but superiority like this, we call it the superman complex like we saw this a lot when we'd see ex exchange students like from america go to thailand they would suddenly think that they're like amazing because everyone wants to hang out with them and stuff like that so I was trying to find how do I replicate this experience that I've had being able to grow up with people all around the world to get to know people at an individual level. Um, not everyone has that opportunity. That was extreme privilege for me to be able to grow up like that. So how do I how do I break that divide and to allow people to see from different perspectives? And story is great for that, you know. And you said that in my in my bio that um, I find story extremely powerful. And I thought that I would be doing this maybe through like video games. Um, <laughs> but when I, when I found that, when I found like VR about seven years ago, I was like, wow, this, this is the best tool at our disposal, like for empathy, but also just for like perspective taking. And I was like, okay, this is what I, all, all that, like what I wanted to recreate in the world of like my experiences and be able to share stories, you know, cut across these divides. Um, I thought. VR is the greatest way to do it. And it's it's such an acute way to share a story and it's the quickest way to get that like visceral response from people. Yeah, and I love the perspective that you gave of the fish and also just the concept of immersion because yes. when yeah. you are immersed in, as you have been in multiple cultures and environments, it gives you a perspective that one can't get otherwise. So now I'm really making the connection to the VR space and the immersion that can take place mm. there yeah. and how you sort of ended up with leveraging that to yes. help affect change. Right. Mm. Mm. I, and I love that analogy that you're using, like you're how you're comparing the two immersions and water and stuff, because what I, when people say, you know, I brought up the travel piece, it's not enough immersion. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause you're still kind of out of it and you're just there temporarily, but you know, the way, to, for real cross-cultural competency is like living there, yes. you know, and being part of it, truly immersed, like you're saying. So that's why, yeah, uh, I, I love how you're connecting the two. Let's shift to business for a minute. And I'd love for you to share your thoughts about what the true costs are to business, businesses that don't have inclusive leaders. And the reason why this is so important is Businesses often pay, obviously, a very high degree of attention to financial performance and profitability, and that's only one aspect of the business, but it's vitally important for the health of the organization. And so costs aren't always financial, but ultimately, that is what can affect change among leadership. And so I'd love for you to share from the perspective of both financial and non-financial costs to businesses that really are not doing well in this inclusivity space? Yeah, so the interesting thing is it all impacts the finance. It all does. So even at the emotional level, like it's going to impact engagement and motivation and turnover rates, 
right? Which is going to impact you financially. So, so, okay. So just in general, like what is a, an inclusive leader is, it's just a good leader. Like, so I think we'll talk about this later, but I even have issues with the fact that we like, we, we talk about inclusive or diversity. It's just like, this, this just means like you're emotionally intelligent. You're socially aware. And that's what every leader should be right. Like culturally confident. And if you're not, your team will stagnate. And you know, wh- why will that happen? Like the lack of psychological safety. If I don't feel safe in my team, if I don't feel like there's a space for me to take risks, then there won't be innovative, creative problem solving, right? There won't be, if, if I'm constantly like on the lookout of like this boss is explosive and, or like, he's just like unkind, I'm not going to have this secure space to explore new ideas. Right. So then now you're losing out, like, let's think about the financial, like you're losing out on innovation there. Like, you know, innovate or die basically. So that's one. The other is uh, we talk about like the, or I talk about like the leaky bucket problem where a lot of companies are like, okay, now, you know, this diversity inclusion stuff is huge. Like we need to have representation. So like, let's just keep dumping in like more, like more marginalized communities or just, you know, get diverse candidates. Right. So you can keep dumping them in, but if you're like the bucket at the bottom has a whole of there's not an inclusive culture why will they they won't stay so you're just putting in tons of money again financial like you're spending tons of money to recruit and stuff but you're not doing the work to keep them it becomes a check the box event it sounds like instead of really creating sustainable change internally right sustainable change and then it's like yeah it's it's check the box and you're, you're losing money by doing it that way right it's just like oh this is a quick band-aid also, like if you don't have an inclusive, so again, like if you don't have inclusive leaders, then you're not going to get an inclusive, like you're not going to get a mix of people. You're not going to get a diverse, like intercultural team. Right. And what happens there is, you know, we see that by 20, 2055, like the makeup of America is going to look very different. Right. It's going to be much more diverse. And you need to have on your team in order that you don't lose your market share, like your team needs to mirror your consumers, right? For that, for them to understand what is it that our consumers want? You can't, you know, I was, I was consulting for a team that basically was like trying to create hair products or something for, for black women. And there was not one black person on the team, let alone like a black woman. There wasn't even a black person on the team. I was like, who are you creating for? Red flag. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So like you have to have the people you look at look at like the market share like you're gonna lose out if you don't have the people represented who are creating the products that like understand the market you know i mean all of those are financial issues actually but but in general like you know we talk about in the western culture we've separated so much of like emotion from like the work right emotion and like how our mind works it's like no those are so interrelated and um you know if we look at demasio's work it's you're you know, when the part of the brain would like, where, where like emotion is, if that part is damaged, you cannot make decisions. Mm -hmm. I love how you make the connection between the emotional component and uh, productivity and inclusivity and effectiveness and financial performance, because ultimately it is so connected and so connected. There are so many examples in the marketplace of well-run companies and what the common themes seem to be among them. And I'm curious as to your perspective, but it seems as though 
They almost all have a very clear and compelling vision and core purpose and core yes. values. And they're communicated extremely yes. well. And they build inclusive cultures yes. where there's diversity of thought and opinion and people and uh, of all aspects, whether it's age, race, yes. gender, religious, ethnicity, all of it. And so, I mean, would you agree that those are, that's kind of where that core connection is made? Yes, yes, 100% agree with what you just said. You know, and when you're saying a, a large part of that is that, that, that communication, like what are our core values, our purpose, our vision is, um, are, we, are we actually living it or is it, is it just, you know, is it just lip service? Because that's the big difference too, right? Is if we say these are our values, then are we living it? And like, then that's where like, the feeling of like true inclusion comes for a team as well. Like we're actually trying to live this out. And when something isn't right, we have that psychological safety to bring it up. Like we're, we're constantly improving. Like, so we talk about the PSA, um, like psychological safety, uh, speak up culture and accountability. Like that is so important um, uh, to, to have that in a culture to be, to, to keep growing together, right? So um, we, we bring that up a lot, like when we do our trainings of like, do you even have, the, like we can teach everything that we can to like, hey, this is how you should be inclusive and all that. But in, unless you have that environment and like, unless you're living according to your values that you, that you say are important to your team, like none of this will matter. I'm wondering if you can provide some examples of some common micro behaviors, microaggressions in the workplace. Uh, so in our trainings, you know, you're talking about the specific micro behaviors. Basically what we're trying to do is these things happen around you all the, all the time. So examples are the leader walks into a room and doesn't even acknowledge you, right? So he might just go straight to, so example, if we're going to do, talk about gender, he might just like walk, walk over just to the male and just acknowledge him and have the conversation, not even make eye contact with you. Those are, that's a micro behavior. Completely unseen and unheard. Yes. Yeah. You're just like not even acknowledged. So micro behavior of like eye contact. So a lot of it is actually, um, is, uh, you know, body language, right? So crossing your arms when a certain person talks and sometimes you know, I cross my arms. If I'm cold, I'll cross my arms, but there's, it's, it's in it's all in relation to like, what were the many things that happened that got to that point, right? Constantly talking over someone, right? And not acknowledging them, saying someone's idea louder than the other person and then taking credit for it. Constantly asking the same person in a meeting to take notes. Now that person can't be fully engaged, right? It's like, why is it always the youngest female being asked to take notes? Or just like questioning someone multiple times, but when somebody else makes the same suggestion, like you go with it. Right. So these are all like small things. So what we do in our, in our like virtual trainings is, you know, you're fully immersed. You're the character. These things are happening every day in your life, but because you have not been attuned to them, you do not have the skills to be attuned to it yet. You haven't noticed them. So we are making you, we're slowing it down. We're letting you look at an experience and shining a massive spotlight on the situation, right? So what that does is now people come out of these trainings and they come back and be like, whoa, I'm noticing so much more of what's happening in the workplace now. Because we basically create, create a little template for you to, be like, to notice these things. And they'll be like, I didn't realize how much even the smallest thing can have such a big impact on my motivation for the day. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so, so just like, they're like, the fact that, he kept asking, you know, through the scenario, he kept needing validation from my 
coworker about any suggestion I said, like, you know, they can feel that they can feel that frustration, like, Hey, why am I not good enough? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and if that happens on a daily basis, that, that when you consolidate all that micro, all those microaggressions, like that really weighs heavy on you. Right. Mm -hmm. But for someone who doesn't have to face those and their friend brings it up, like, Hey, did you see how he kept questioning me? They're like, dude, sometimes clients just do that. They just want like, they just want like reassurance. Right. So for someone seeing it from the outside, they'll be just be, they'll just say like, what's the big deal. It's a diminishment. Yes. It's a diminishment, but they're not feeling that, that effect of like the, the constant microaggressions, right. They're just seeing that little moment being like, Hey, what's the big deal. So when you go through the virtual reality and you see again and again, it like piles up on you. You're like, this really sucks. It's almost like a, a cumulative uh, yes. traumatic effect. Exactly. Person, yeah. It? The accumulation is, is what gets you. Yeah. And then the VR portion, I guess if I understand it correctly, it really puts, allows you to put yourself into that person's shoes. So yes. you can really feel what they feel. Is that correct? It's, it, yes. Correct. Where you're getting to experience um, from their perspective mm-hmm. and you know, so you might be Max, who's like uh, a male uh, black accountant, account manager, right? Mm-hmm. And your coworker is with you, Chad, you know, and you're seeing how you're being treated, like you're being questioned about your school and there's like, you know, things like that. And it's, it's done in a very nice way of like, oh, I'm trying to get to know you, like the client's asking you. And it's like, but why aren't you asking Chad? So that's one thing that a lot of um, my white friends will actually bring up and be like, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking about the school. I was like, totally, there's nothing wrong. If you're having a conversation and it's, and everyone's like part of that conversation, you know, like, for example, in that scenario, there's a client, there's Chad and there's Max, your character. And why are you being questioned constantly? Why, if it's just a conversation, then ask Chad as well. Right. But it's in this, in that situation, it seems like you're trying to get me to validate, like to prove that I have a right to be here, that I have the education to be here. And so Myra, when people, when leaders see, or others, non-leaders, individual contributors see inappropriate behavior in the workplace, what are some strategies for them to confront? And I think so many people get, um, are hesitant because they either don't want to shame the other person, which is not a good excuse, or they are conflict averse. What are some strategies that they can deploy that will really help kind of solve help solve this problem one i wouldn't i wouldn't just randomly go out and and address it actually like to to me that's not you haven't created the culture for that to happen so through our work you know it's through the vr but a lot of it you know the vr is not the silver bullet like there's a lot of teaching that goes with it right so part of that is creating the environment of trust and creating the environment of hey we're on the same page we all want the same things and you're basically creating new norms so what that does is by us going through this training and saying, hey, we've all decided that these are the behaviors that we're seeing in our, our organization. We don't want these to happen. We're all, we all are coming to an agreement to say, when these things happen, we want them, what I call called in, instead of called out, I say called in, right? So, but what, what needs to happen first is creating that groundwork of trust and like, yes, we, we can call each other in when this happens. That's interesting. So say a little bit more about the call in. So is that, it's the inclusive method of that or? Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's basically the way our framework is like, 
okay, first we're all going to agree on what are the behaviors we want to change. And then we say like, okay, how do we know that these behaviors are happening? So we call it the spot, spot it, right? So like, how will we know that they're happening? Okay, someone's constantly talking over someone, you know, this is, this is what it feels like, this is what it looks like. Someone constantly takes credit for someone else's work, this is what it looks like. So what's happening is we're priming everyone's brain to start noticing it now. Got it. So, so like you said, like people aren't aware, but with, by allowing us to all sit down and talk about it very specifically about your own organization, now, now you're gonna be hyper aware. You yourself, whether you're doing it and others. So one is spot. Then we talk about the call-in. So the call-in for me here is it's important that you call it in, in the moment. So, you know, if you're calling someone out, it can feel shameful. It can be like putting them on the spot. Um, the way to call it in is, okay, I want to encode it in your brain in the moment so that you can't, you can't really argue later, did it happen or not? So so let's say if someone is, I'm going to use the talking over example. If someone is constantly talking over someone in a, in a meeting, you know, so Jeff, let's say you're, you're trying to say something and I just like keep cutting you off. Someone else, like let's say on the team, like Linda, for example, she could to call it in. She can be like, oh, Myra, I think Jeff has been trying to say something, you know, just, just that little bit. What it's going to do is going to reinforce for me. Hey, we've talked about this things and these things and I'm, and I'm doing it right now. That's great. And it's a very simple approach, isn't it? It's so simple. <laughs> you know, so many of these things are simple. It's just like, you need to, you know, I've thought about them and that's why they're simple, but like, yeah, but they, they, they're very, but, but what I, what I mean to say is like, there's such easy changes. Mm -hmm. And if we have that create that, that culture of trust to do that with each other, it's so beautiful. Like just the feedback that we're getting from people of like this one man who's 31 years, like an engineer in this company, like one of the oldest companies in America, like he, he has come back and been like, I went to my manager to apologize because I have been doing these things for the last like 30 years, basically. Wow. That's amazing. What an awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, well, and, and the way that we do it is a lot of these trainings make people feel defensive, right? But because we do it in a way that's, Hey, what did you experience in this? You tell me what you experienced. What did it feel like? Have you experienced this? You know, it takes away the defensiveness. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that too, is that when you describe experience, experience is something that a person owns and you can never take it away from yes. them. So if yes. I've experienced yes. you doing something, it does, you, <laughs> you can't disagree with me because that's my experience, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, to, to the VR point too, because a lot of, you know, a lot of these things do start at the emotional level, right? So what, what the VR allows is it allows you to go through it in someone else's shoes and to talk about the emotion that you felt as them rather than your own emotion. So a lot of these like engineers and like, you know, companies come to me and be like, they'll never talk about emotion. I was like, oh, just wait, they will. <laughs> like, because it's kind of given them an out of like, my questions are, what did you feel in Max's shoes? How did that feel being in Max's shoes? And then, then you can just, then it goes. Then people are vulnerable because it's not them, but then it's building the trust over time. And then they start talking about their own stories. Right. Well, and I just want to rewind to another thing you said, Myra, just briefly before we move on to some lightning round questions. And it's really that how important it is to take this as a team approach. So we're not going to be, yes. we're not yes. trying to affect change only at an individual level. We're being very proactive. We're agreeing collectively what sort of yes. behaviors we're wanting to promote and what behaviors are inappropriate in an organization. And then we're really holding each other accountable 
with the same objective, right? We're ultimately yes. going after the same objective. Right. So we create like inclusion manifestos. We create uh, like all these tools that it's like, hey, okay, now you can run with this. Like for the team, we're trying to empower them, right? And so it's like, we all agree to the inclusion manifesto. We sign it. So it, it, what it does is it's basically creating a norm of, hey, this is what we said we wanted to act like. This is who we want to be. These are the behaviors. And when someone is not acting like that, it helps us to hold each other accountable to be like, hey, remember we said we, we all want to come back to this. So it lets you point back to that instead of like just randomly calling people out. It's like, no, we all agreed to this. And like, we all want to be part of this. And yes, yeah, so it's a team thing. It's a, um, it, you know, that's how change occurs. Like we're social, we're social creatures, we're social learners and it needs to happen together. Well, let's shift into some lightning round questions. The first one I have for you is what are you most grateful for? I do like gratefulness things like as soon as I wake up every morning. So it could be as, as, as nice. little as like, I love my bed. Like I just love, my bed, you know, just like the comfiness and stuff, just being grateful. Cause, um, I have experienced the other side of that, like not having those things. So, mm-hmm. um, right now in this moment, like I'm in California, the weather is just amazing. And the weather has such a huge impact on me. So right now I'm just so grateful for how beautiful California is. I just, mm. It is a beautiful place, isn't it? It's so wonderful. It's going to be hot today out here in I, California, Myra. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it's going to get up to like 90 or more. Yeah, yeah it will. It will. Yeah. That's great. What's the most difficult leadership lesson you've learned over your career? The great, one of the greatest joys of being a leader for me is being able to empower my team. So just learning. So, you know, what I'm learning is as I scale is... Um, being able to train people and then just be able to step back and let them like take it. It's, it's so like, take the reins. It's so satisfying. Like it makes me very emotional because one it's, it's taking away things off my plate, which I love. Um, it's, you know, and, and then just being like, wow. Um, to, to, to see where they were a year ago and where they are now. It's just such, it's such a joy. Um, who's one person you would interview if you could living or not? Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> he, he was just, you know, I, I like, I like to bring things from across different topics, industries, you know, like, um, just across disciplines. Mm-hmm. And I think da Vinci was, he was so talented in so many areas. Like he knew so many different things and like, bec- he was able to like, I hate the word synergize, but he would really across the board, you know? And I love that. I love that kind of brain. Um, and that's also why I did not do a PhD because it makes mm. you go too deep into one <laughs> tiny area. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, do you have a top book recommendation? Yes. Okay. This book is so great. It's um, The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. It was one of those books that I read a lot of leadership books, but this one's one that was like, as I was going through it, I was testing it out with my team. <laughs> like oh, it's great. so practical. Yeah. Um, I love it. And so I, I recommend it to a lot of leaders. It's, it's so like, you can use it immediately. Like each chapter, like you can start using it. Very pragmatic. Yes. Yes. Very. Pragmatic. That's great. Yeah. The coaching habit. I really like it. Yeah. And so as we wrap up, what's the single most important thing you would want our human capital listeners to take away from our talk today? Mm. You know, one thing would be, 
a lot of people right now are trying to scramble and like, you know, we need diversity training. And so then they're going for like, oh, we need anti-racism training. We need to talk about white supremacy. And all these things are really important, but that's not where the human brain needs to begin, right? So if you actually want deep conceptual and cultural change, you can't start there. And it really is a journey. And so like, if you're in this space, like you got to start from building that culture and, and doing it like it's actually really a fixed process. And a lot of diversity and inclusion people don't see it that way. It really is a fixed process to actually get to real deeper learning and, and, and conceptual change. So that would be, I would say, like just, just be, be, a, be aware of where you're starting and where your people are starting. And I know that we get a lot of pressure from leaders of like, no, this is what we must teach. But I've pushed back a lot and it served me well. Mm -hmm. yeah. That, that's yeah. very good insight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that might be my best, actually, I'll go back to that leadership. So it's not specifically leadership, but your question, but it's most recently what I learned was like, it's like a general thing of, I am the expert in my space. I do know what I'm talking about and that I don't need to shift just because, you know, the VP of this massive company is telling me to do it this way. Like I need to stick to my guns and like the conviction of, this is this is my lived experience this is my expertise like you know and i'm 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 telling you that your team is not ready to have this this is where you need to start you can't this is this is step one two three you can't start at four that's my story and i'm sticking to it right yeah 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 <laughs> yeah for sure and yeah sometimes being like a smaller company you can get pushed around a little bit but i'm like i just like i can't stand behind the results if you do it any other way well, Myra, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate all the wisdom you've shared. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad we found time to do this. It's really fun having this conversation with you. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release a new episode of Human Capital every other Tuesday. I would love to know what you thought of this episode, so please email your comments to humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan, a performance management technology and consulting company. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human, kind.